You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, your student loan questions answered. Refinancing the public service loan forgiveness program, common misconceptions, and more with David Carlson. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. I am back with another very educational and basically real world episode for you because I constantly get asked about student loans because so many of you are dealing with paying off your current student loans. And it's one of the things that have saddled your ambitions in reaching some of the goals that you have, right? Like, so you may be paying off tons of debt, especially student loan debt. And oftentimes your income is not supportive of the payment plan that you're currently on, or maybe the degree that you went for, you know, it was not what you had imagined. And so you're paying off sometimes loans in a field that you're no longer even interested in or working in. Sometimes you're even paying off debt and student loan debt on a degree that you didn't finish. And so I know this is something that affects a lot of journeyers. And so I'm also always looking for content that can help you with that. And so I'm excited to bring you this conversation with David Carlson, who has some information to share with us on student loans. He himself is a person who currently has student loans and is paying them off, but wrote a book called Student Loan Solutions, Five Steps to Take Control of Your Student Loans and Financial Life. He also is the founder of the Millennial Personal Finance blog, Young Adult Money. And so I invited him on the podcast so that we can talk a little bit more about student loans, because I know that's a big big hindrance for you. So I'm hoping that this episode helps a lot. And if you want any of the episode show notes, so sometimes we mention things in the episode and you might be like, wait, wait, what was that? You can go to the episode show notes. So you type in your browser or you can actually click the show notes that you see wherever you listen to this, but you can go to journey to launch dot com slash episode 135. This is episode 135. And then as always, if you are listening to this and something sticks out, and you're just like, wow, I learned something new. This was amazing. Let me know. Tag me at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. So I can see that you are like getting this information and that it's helping you. And then of course, don't forget to share this with any family and friends that may just need this information. Now, if you really want to keep up to date with what's going on with Journey to Launch so you don't miss a thing, make sure to join my weekly newsletter list. I promise I won't spam you. You can essentially just join so you get more up-to-date information about what's going on with myself and Journey to Launch. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash join and you'll be able to opt into the newsletter. But that's really the best way to keep up to date with everything going on with Journey to Launch. And you get some special bonuses too when you're on that list. So come join us. Now, without further ado, let's hop into this conversation with David. Hey, journeyers. So with this episode, I wanted to dive deep into a topic that so many of you, I used to have this as a thing for me until I paid it all off, but so many of you are quote unquote plagued with or trying to navigate and that's student loans. So I have invited David Carlson from Young Adult Money 
and you wrote a book called Student Loan Solutions. So you're pretty much an expert on student loans. And so I wanted to talk to you to have you walk through more about student loans, how people can navigate paying it off and basically all the things around this topic. So welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's just jump right in. So you talk a lot about student loans on your site and you wrote a book about it, right? And it's something that so many Americans have, right? As like a, what they consider something holding them back in terms of making progress towards their other financial goals. What's your perception of this? Like, I know there are probably like statistics and numbers around really like probably the average student loan debt that most people carry and how people are like supposed to start pulling themselves up from that kind of debt to make progress in their lives. Yeah, I mean, there's tons and tons of statistics in the media about student loan debt. Um, 40 million plus Americans have a student loan and it can really range from a few thousand to a hundred thousand plus. And for the first time within the past couple of years, we have a few people with a million plus in student loans. And unfortunately, it seems like each year, the amount that students are graduating with just keeps increasing. And it seemed like a topic for me personally, I write about all different personal finance topics, but just seemed like the right time to focus specifically on student loans, wrote the book and really uh, getting some content out there helping people to handle these loans. Mm. Now, what has been your experience with student loans? So if we can just like quickly jump into, did you graduate with a lot of student loan debt and how did you manage to pay that off if you did? Yeah, my wife and I, we got engaged while we were in college and we graduated with a combined 100,000 of undergrad student loan debt, which going to private schools in the Twin Cities metro area, it wasn't totally out of the norm. But really what bugged me was, okay, so you finish college, you start working, and typically that's the least amount of money you're going to make at any point in your career. But you put on the standard 10-year repayment plan. For us, combined, it was about $1,000 a month in student loans. And that really bothered me just having that drag on our finances. And that's actually why I started Young Adult Money, uh, was to you know dive into side hustles and find ways to offset that $1,000 a month payment. And the thing is with us, my wife's a therapist. We knew that she had to also get her master's. And at that time, going into corporate finance for me, I was looking at potentially getting my MBA. And master's degrees aren't cheap. So even just having that 100000 and then thinking through, okay, how are we going to afford these master's degrees? And these are situations that thousands and thousands of Americans are facing. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of how... I started with student loans. We still have student loans. We're actually pursuing public service loan forgiveness right now for my wife's loans. Again, she's a therapist. Yeah, so that's kind of the experience that we've had. Yeah, and I actually love that you're still you still have loans and you're actually utilizing this forgiveness program because I get lots of questions on that. So we will definitely be talking more about it. But since you uh, write about this and kind of focus on this in terms of your content, what are some just common misconceptions that people have about student loans that we can just like knock off off the back right here? Yeah, definitely. I love talking about the misconceptions. So the first one that I'd like to point out is you have to pay off your student loans no matter what. The thing is, there is loan forgiveness programs out there. Like I just mentioned, public service loan forgiveness. There's also income-driven loan forgiveness where 
as long as you make payments on an income-driven repayment plan for 20 to 25 years, your loans will be forgiven by the government. That's also one motivating factor behind writing the book is I think there's a lot of people in personal finance who are saying, hey, don't trust the loan forgiveness programs, don't pursue this. Or even from a moral standpoint, you shouldn't take advantage of those loan forgiveness programs. But there's a lot of people in lower income jobs who have 100K plus of debt. I mean, think of a social worker making 35, 40K a year who had to get her master's or his master's and they're in 100K plus of debt. The reality is they're probably not going to be able to pay that off. And if they did, it'd be over the course of 30 plus years. So looking into those forgiveness programs is super important. And I think it's a disservice when we don't talk about those forgiveness programs. Mm, Okay. So that's one. It's like thinking that you have to pay it off and then not using or utilizing these service loan forgiveness programs. Yeah, definitely. Okay. What's something else that comes up a lot? That's a misconception. Yeah. So there's a lot of marketing right now and has been the past few years about student loan refinancing. And while student loan refinancing is typically a good thing to pursue because you can get a lower interest rate, you can potentially save thousands, sometimes more than $10,000 in interest. I don't think there's enough disclaimers that sometimes refinancing is a bad idea. So if you have a federal student loan, you have certain rights and ability to take advantage of things such as income-driven repayment, loan forgiveness, and then if needed, deferment, forbearance, things like that, where you can delay, temporarily delay making payments on your loans. So a lot of that goes away when you refinance a federal student loan. And I think that there's probably many examples of people who have refinanced a federal loan who wish that they could go back and potentially undo it. But once you refinance, you've created a private student loan. So I'd say that's a big misconception where refinancing for lower interest rate is a no-brainer. It isn't a no-brainer. It's best to kind of take a pause and to think about whether it really makes sense. With private student loans, it almost always makes sense if you can get a lower interest rate to refinance that. Right. So from like a private loan, if you have a higher interest rate to refinancing to a lower rate, that you should definitely look into doing. But when it comes to some of the federal loans that you have, think about losing those protections solely just based on a lower interest rate. Because like, who knows you losing? I know that, you know, with the private companies, like there is not as much stipulations on how they can pursue repayment, right? I think you're more protective in certain areas, like through the government, if you fall on hard times or, or miss payments. And so definitely, I, I love that asking people to stop and think like, just because it's lower rate doesn't mean that it's a better, it's better for you. Mm-hmm, definitely. Okay, so what's something else that people come and think like, hey, we should, like this is something either they think they know or they don't know that's like, oh, you should be thinking about this too. Yeah, to kind of lead into the public service loan forgiveness discussion, there's a lot of people saying well, it's impossible to get public service loan forgiveness, the program doesn't work. It's true that a lot of people have been rejected, but there's reasons for that. So I'd say a misconception is to kind of disregard that loan forgiveness plan out of hand without really looking at the facts and whether it could benefit you. Because there are hundreds of people who have received public service loan forgiveness. There will be thousands over the next year or two, and then 
more and more people are going to get approved for that forgiveness program. And really some big names in personal finance are saying, don't pursue it. It doesn't work. Really just misinformation and not providing their followers with full information about the program and whether it does make sense for that individual. Right. And so with that, because I think too, what happened is like, this is the first time, like the people that first enrolled, it was like the first year that they were now coming up to get their loans forgiven. So you're in the program, right? Or your wife is in the program. So what's some of the things that you have to do to make sure that you are following the protocol to get forgiven? Because that might be helpful for some people who are actually trying to pursue this or want to make sure that they're doing it the right way. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing I want to talk about, though, is just the high rejection rate. And there's reasons for that. First of all, and this kind of leads into the answer to your question, the loans that are eligible for public service loan forgiveness, it's only direct loans, not the federal family education loans, the FFEL loans. And that's one reason a lot of people are getting rejected is because when this program first came out, most of the loans in the student loan portfolio were those FFEL loans and not direct loans. And I think that a lot of people didn't realize that they needed to consolidate and create a direct loan if they want to get those FFEL loans forgiven. So first of all, you got to have a direct loan. And if you don't, you can consolidate and create a direct loan. But that's super important and a big reason why people have been rejected. Wait, can I just jump in? So the direct loan, can you just describe like, the difference between the direct loan? Is that directly from the school or what does that look like versus the FFEL loan? So there's two different federal student loans available, and it's direct loans. And then, and I'll start referring to them as FEL loans, actually, because it's a little bit easier. (laughs) Um, But that FEL loan program was discontinued in 2008. And any loan that you get from the federal government after that was a direct loan, which is also why more people are going to get student loan forgiveness through PSLF because there's more and more people who have 100% direct loans. My wife and I, we both had some FELL loans because we entered college around the time that it was being discontinued. And I think a lot of people listening and a lot of people who are still repaying their loans likely have those loans. But yes, to answer your question more directly, the direct loans, that is a loan that you would get from the federal government after 2008. Right. So how does one know, right? Let's just say someone doesn't know what they have. Uh, Is there like an easy way to figure that out? Is this like clearly say that? I I know you can't answer that for every type of loan, but how does one find out? Is it just simply calling and saying, hey, can you tell me what type of loan do I have? Yeah. So that's actually the very first thing in my book that I recommend. You got to understand what loans you have to really navigate the program. So the first step is to go to the National Student Loan Data System, and maybe you can provide the link in the notes. Yeah. But it's nslds.ed.gov. So when you log into that site, you're able to see all of your student loans, and it clearly labels whether they're direct or FELL loans. Right. Okay. And then if you do have some FELL loans, you can consolidate that to a direct loan in order to then now start qualifying for the public service forgiveness programs. Exactly. Yep. Is that a hard process? Does that take a long time? Is it simply just making a call? Like, what does that look like? You can do a lot of this stuff through the website now. So my wife and I haven't consolidated loans, 
But just as an example with PSLF, we haven't had to have any phone conversations. It's been purely through studentloans.gov. And I believe you can also consolidate your loans through that website as well. I don't think you actually have to call. And I get a little bit cynical when it comes to actually calling and talking to your loan servicer. And just to give you an example with PSLF, where people are running into issues, there's some borrowers who are bringing up complaints of, hey, I, I called you know, year after year and said, am I on the path to public service loan forgiveness? And the person at the call center said, yes, you are. And then they find out five, six, seven years down the road, they didn't have a direct loan. They had a fell loan, but they were being told that they were on the path to public service loan forgiveness. So basically, years of repayment are wiped out because once you do that direct consolidation, you're creating a brand new loan. So all the loans you consolidated, they don't exist anymore. You have a brand new loan. So something to keep in mind as well. Mm, right. So once you consolidate, it, you, that starts the whole process over again. You don't get credit for all the payments that you made to even the direct loan that was once considered part of the program. Yeah, exactly. So just like refinancing before you consolidate, you want to think through, does this make sense or not? Because some people do consolidate direct loans when they already would have been you know, a few years down the path to loan forgiveness, and then their clock resets because you're basically creating a new loan. You're starting from step one. Right. So already the first step after you listen to this journey or this episode, if you have not already, is to really dig into what exact loans you have. Um, because also, let's talk about who's eligible for this public service loan forgiveness program. Right. So who would that help or who's eligible to apply for this? So with this program, you need to work for a qualifying employer full time. And that is any area of the government. So it could be local government, federal government, any government employer, or a 501c3 not-for-profit. Right, right. Now, and then the, the thing about it, too, is you have to stay with that a qualified employer for a certain amount of years. So I think some people come faced with the opportunity of, do I stay and maybe this okay, maybe not well-paying job for the, um, these amount of years to get this public service loan forgiven, or I have an opportunity to earn a lot more money, maybe in the private sector or at a, a company, but then I lose that. So I know that like it's going to look different for a lot of people, but what are some things people should consider when faced with that decision? Yeah, I think PSLF works best for people who would be in that industry and working for an employer Regardless, and I just want to clarify that you don't have to stay with the same employer, it just has to be an eligible employer. So you could work at one nonprofit for two years, move to the government sector for the next five, switch back to another nonprofit. All that really matters is you're making those uh, 120 monthly qualified payments while working for a eligible qualifying employer. Can you repeat your question? Actually, <laughs> I went on a tangent there. No, 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 no. Actually, that's good. That's clarifying exactly what you should be doing in the meantime or what qualifies you. But that that option now, someone might come up and say, oh, I have this opportunity to switch careers or jobs or just not work for a public sector or a qualifying employer anymore. So they have an opportunity to earn a lot more money, but then they have to give up the forgiveness possibility at the end of the the whatever amount of years. So how should one start thinking about if it's worth it to them to give that up versus to earn the money to just to pay off the loan? Yeah, that's going to be a very personal choice, obviously. And it depends 
you know, career goals, what is the difference in pay between that qualifying employer versus the private sector? Typically, I mean, the best way to go about student loans and the ideal situation would be that you make enough money to actually afford to make those payments and pay them off in 10 years or less. So if you're able to do that with a private employer, it's probably going to make sense to pursue that. And there is also income-driven loan forgiveness. There's not much talk about it right now, but that's making 20 to 25 years, depending on which income-driven repayment plan you're on, and you get loan forgiveness that way. The difference is with that, there is a big tax bill at the end of that. So let's say you have $200,000 of loans forgiven through that path, and that's working for any employer. That's not tied to any specific qualifying employer. You would actually owe taxes on that 200K the year that you get those loans forgiven. But you're still making some payment. So this going down just a little bit over time, but that bulk amount that they forgive, you owe those taxes. Yeah. And that's the big difference between public service loan forgiveness and that income-driven loan forgiveness, besides the fact that public service loan forgiveness you can do in 10 years, so 120 monthly payments versus the 20 to 25 So with PSLF, there is no tax bill. You could get a million dollars forgiven through PSLF. You're not going to be taxed on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. That's a very important distinction. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually asked this question in the membership community that I have, like, hey, you know, I'm talking to this expert about this stuff and do you have any questions? So I got a couple questions, if you don't mind, that I ask, and I'm sure that this comes up for some people also, but parent plus loans. This is where a parent takes out a loan on the student's behalf, but the parent is responsible for it, right? Mm -hmm. So how is that something that the child or person now can take over from their parent or once it's in the parent's name, that's what it is. How does one navigate that and paying that something like that off? Yeah. So parent plus loans, there hasn't been much favorable policy put forth for repaying those. And I'll give you an example of that. So with Parent PLUS loans, you're not eligible for any of the income-driven repayment plans. The only way you can be eligible for any of them is if you consolidate those Parent PLUS loans into a direct consolidation loan. And then you're eligible for an income-driven repayment plan, but you're only eligible for income-contingent repayment. I know this is a lot of terminology, but with income-contingent repayment, it takes 20% of your income. That's how they calc your payment. The other plans, it's 10 to 15%, with 10% being primarily what uh, is used. So it's the least favorable. You would never go into ICR unless you had to. So going back to your question about whether it can be passed on to the child, I highly recommend not doing that. And that's something that is important to recognize. So let's say that parent passes away unexpectedly. Those parent plus loans are going to pass away with them and not to be morbid, but (laughs) it's an important thing to understand. Those parent plus loans are going to pass away with the parents. While let's say the student or the child, let's say they take all those parent plus loans and consolidate them with all of their loans. The unfavorable piece of that is that you're only going to be eligible for ICR. And if your parent passed away, you know, a few months after you took on those parent plus loans, and I should say not just consolidating, but let's say you refinance them to private loan. 
and you add the child's name onto that loan. The problem is that those become that child's responsibility. As difficult as it can be, I do think those loans should stay with the parents, even if there was an agreement that the child would repay those loans over time. I still think they should stay in the parent's name. Right, right. And then the other thing that comes up, right? So like with just like all the potential policy changes, I know that's something that people bring up, like, oh, we don't know if this program, the PSLF program will be around um, due to policy changes and whoever's in power in the government. What are your thoughts on that? I know, again, you can't predict the future, but just based on your experience and expertise in this area, what do you think? Is this something that people should be concerned about when it comes to that? I think that students who already have, or I should say graduates and students who already have loans shouldn't be concerned about that because I think any change to the program will be forward-looking, which is pretty typical of policy you know, like Social Security, raising the age that you can start tapping into that. Any changes to any of these big government programs have always been forward-looking. There isn't the political willpower of anyone to eliminate PSLF. And actually, when they passed a bill that temporarily expanded PSLF and provided funds for people who are in the wrong repayment plan so that they can still get some relief... That was passed by a conservative Congress. So that kind of shows even Republicans recognize that there's a lot of people with student loans and a lot of people who need relief. And the likelihood of PSLF ever being discontinued, especially for existing students, it's, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's pretty much a zero chance that that would happen. And I think that right now there's not a ton of people receiving it because of various issues such as, like I said, there was more fell loans and direct loans and we didn't get into it, but some of these income-driven repayment plans were rolled out over the past decade. They weren't all available on day one. Even the employer certification form, which is how you get your payments tagged as qualified, that wasn't even available for a few years after the legislation passed. But anyway, taking all of that into consideration, any change would be forward-looking. And I think that there'd be a lot of backlash against any unfavorable changes to the program anyway. So I think fears of PSLF going away, especially for people who already have the loans and are already starting down that path, it's pretty much a 0% chance. I don't want to say <laughs> it is a 0%. Yeah, because everyone would email you like, David, you said this would not happen. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> but basically, 0% chance that you're not going to get it if you navigate the program appropriately and make those qualified payments. Yeah, yeah. And so for people who are just like, all right, this is all great information. And you know, maybe at some point they got told something else. They're confused. So this is one of the questions that came up from a Money Launch Club member, Chanel. She just said that she's confused about how the student loan forgiveness program works. She gets different responses from loan providers. She was told she wasn't eligible until she was working in her job for seven years. And another person told her that she was in the right program and just make qualifying payments and send in the application. But she's just like, what? Like, I'm just confused. So is there like a single source? I know calling always isn't like you, like you said, like the best way, because like some of these service providers don't know, but is there like a one source that someone should start with at least to get some of this clarified information or get the right information? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but I do think my book, Student Loan Solution, kind of <laughs> lays out uh, the requirements. And then 
on our website, youngadultmoney.com. I've been populating it with more and more student loan content. So we have a post that says basically how public service loan forgiveness works. So that's an intro to the requirements. And I don't want to be repetitive, but we could just briefly go over some of the requirements. So you got to be on a qualified repayment plan. The 10-year standard repayment plan is eligible as well as any of the four income-driven repayment plans. Uh, qualifying loans, so direct loans, and a qualifying employer, so government employer or a 501c3 not-for-profit. You need to make 120 on-time monthly payments that check all those boxes. So qualified plan, qualifying loan, qualifying employer. And the way to get those loans tagged as qualified is submitting a form called an employment certification form. And this basically tells FedLoan who will be servicing your loan once you start working down the path to PSLF. It tells them that for a certain period of time, you worked full-time for a qualified employer. Because there's no way for them to know. Let's say let's say over the next year, you're working at a qualifying employer until you actually submit that form. There's no way for them to know or certify that you worked for a qualifying employer. So any payments you make during those 12 months aren't going to be tagged as qualified. And there's no requirement that you have to submit that employment certification form at any time. But that's also part of the problem right now is we got people who are applying for a PSLF who think they made the 120 payments, but they haven't submitted that form. And maybe they need to go track down an employer from eight, nine years ago, perhaps for a nonprofit that doesn't even exist and try to get those certified, which can be very difficult. So nowadays I say, if you're working on PSLF, submit that form every six to 12 months because it costs you nothing. It gets your payments tagged in the system and if there's any discrepancies or issues where maybe Fed loan says, oh, those aren't qualified payments, you can start you know, working through that right now versus trying to work through 120 payments. So you can slowly progress. And by the time that you apply for that final loan forgiveness, you'll know that you've made those 120 qualified payments. They're tagged there should be no issue and it should go through quickly, which is also why I think more and more people are going to get PSLF over time is because there's more knowledge about it. There's more information out there. And uh, that advice that I just gave about the employment certification form five years ago, I don't think anybody would really be talking about it. But now that PSLF has become such a hot topic, now people know to submit that form regularly so they can start getting those payments tagged. Mm, All right. And so is there a way to log in to see that you're on the right track, that things are going through for someone if they start this program? So like, for example, you and your wife, is there somewhere you can visually see instead of having to call someone that, okay, that payment counted, you know, I'm five years in and this all looks good? Yeah. FedLoan is the loan servicer once you start working on PSLF. So what I mean by that is when you submit that first employment certification form, they're going to transfer your loans to FedLoan. And again, some of this could change. That's just how it is today as we're talking. Right. And within their website, you can see how many qualified payments were made on each loan. And I think that they do mail out statements each month. So I think that statement also will show how many qualified payments you made. But sometimes people panic because at the beginning, it's going to show zero for 
hover long until you submit the certification form a second time. And there's actually, you know, qualified payments made. And then they certify that, yes, you worked for this X time period and they can tag those payments as qualified. Right, right. So yeah, it's, you know, with time, obviously, hopefully this all gets a bit better and more standardized in what people should be doing. And, but it just seems like some of the first people who applied really didn't have all this knowledge. That's why so many of them um, were rejected. So this is great information. And I'll get the link so I can put this in the episode show notes for everyone. um, If you want just more information um, about some of these things. Now, what about people who are not on any of these programs or not qualified or just have student loans, right? And they have a large amount of student loans. Some people's student loans are the size of like a mortgage, right? So based on or considering that, some people are like, you know what? Like I want to pay off the student loan as fast as possible. They maybe have some other debt too. How does one decide? Like, do you feel, and this just might be just more of a personal um, preference or thing for everyone, but there's some people who are just like, even though I have $150,000 worth of debt, like student loan debt, I just want to pay that off. Like they're considering that as something like they're focused on. Then there are some people who are like, you know what? I really am going to just pay it off as I go. I have no intention of maybe aggressively paying off due to the rate and due to the other things I want to do in my life. What are your thoughts on that? And how should someone start to think about that when making a choice to aggressively pay off like a large student loan balance that might take them years and sacrifice investing or whatever that may take versus kind of leaving it um, and paying the minimum payments while pursuing other goals? Yeah, it definitely is a personal choice between making the minimum payments or aggressively paying it off. And going back to refinance, I mean, that's one tool that can be used to lower your interest rate if you have a good credit score uh, and a solid credit history. But one thing I would caution with that is if your projection is going to take you know seven to 10 years and you do have a lot of debt, you may want to keep those federal loans a little bit longer just in case something changes, you know, job loss, economy, tanks, any number of changes that could make you want to take advantage or need to take advantage of income-driven repayment and move on to some of those things that we've been talking about. So I do caution that a little bit. I guess if if you're paying off your loans within five years or so and you feel like you're in a good financial spot it could make sense to refinance. And that kind of leads into the way I think about this. I think it's good to be hyper-focused on one financial goal, but it's also important to factor in your greater financial situation. So let's say you have high interest credit card debt, definitely makes sense to tackle that first and make the minimum student loan payments. Uh, Emergency fund, do you have three months or more in a cash savings account that you can leverage in case you lose your job or some emergency comes up. And even things like medical debt, that's becoming a huge issue in our country. And a lot of the health insurance plans are high deductible health plans nowadays where you may be on the hook for three to 6K of payments each year before your insurance really kicks in. So do you have those funds set aside. So if you find yourself in that situation, you can cover off on those payments. So I think the first thing is looking at your personal situation. Are you hitting some of these other financial targets before aggressively repaying so that you can weather the storm if you hit a hard time? I think that's really key to keep in mind. Yeah, so um, just good considerations for people to think about. Um, And the last question I'll just ask from the community, uh, Jane asked, 
Is there a way to get loans reduced or forgiven? Yeah, I think looking at, first of all, whether they're private or federal loans is important. So if they're federal loans, you can tap into a bunch of the different opportunities that we talked about already. If they're private loans, there really isn't an opportunity to have them forgiven. And they're actually pretty difficult to discharge in bankruptcy. I will say, just because there might be somebody listening who has a bunch of private loans, they're drowning, they can't make the payments. There is some controversy around this approach, but talking to a debt lawyer could be a good option. I have talked to a debt lawyer who has been able to get private student loans reduced like 100K down to 30, 40K to something that's reasonable based on that customer's income. Some people will say, hey, don't go to a debt lawyer unless you've exhausted all the other options. But typically, if someone's going to that debt lawyer, they have already exhausted those options. So getting them reduced, if you have private loans, you can always refinance for a longer term. Let's say you have a 10-year loan, you could refinance for 15 or 20 years uh, just to get that payment down. Obviously, you'd pay more in interest because it's a longer loan, but it's an opportunity to free up some cash flow if you have some other financial goals that you want to hit, such as paying off credit card debt. I think the important thing in all this, I know we've gone over a lot, is to look at all of your options and spend some time looking into some of these things because it does take some time to process it all and to understand it all. It's not something, unfortunately, that you know you can spend 15 minutes looking into and and be done. You know all your options, yeah. Or what I would like, you know, listening to this podcast episode is not going to solve all your problems, but I hope it's a good start for people to really say, okay, let me like really look into this and start making progress. Take notes, become a student again <laughs> and learn about this stuff because really knowledge is power and understanding your options and everyone's situation is different. So David or I can't give you just like a blanket solution on what you should do, but realizing the options at least that are out there for you and then being able to make more educated decisions on what the next step is, is like the best and only way that you should be moving um, towards. And don't expect that you have to get this figured out all today, right? Like it's going to take some time. It might take you longer than you like to figure out what exactly you want to do, but it's pro- it's better progress than kind of keeping your head down and not doing anything. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so you had this um, cool article on your site about privilege. And I thought we just spent a little moment talking about that before we wrap up. But, you know, it's one of those uh, things where if you mention the word privilege in certain groups, like the defenses go up because I find that some people don't like to acknowledge privilege and there's so many layers of privilege. So let's start that there, that there are layers upon layers of privilege. And I always say that on the baseline level, if you're listening to this podcast or you're able to access the Internet, you have a level of privilege, right? Like, you know, there's just different types of privilege. And then there's like overlying privilege of just like where you were born the culture you were born into and just systematic things that have kept people down or um, back for a long while in this country. And so I want to talk a little bit through that because I think it's hard to not acknowledge those kind of conversations when it comes to money. Like sometimes we, we don't say it at all in the conversations, but it's so important because at the end of the day, this is the foundation for where a lot of people start. And it doesn't have to be where they end or what they hang their hat on and say, okay, I can't do anything because I, I didn't have these things growing up or I'm not that person. But I'd love to just get more of your opinion on it before we close out. Yeah. So there's been a lot of debate and conversation, the personal finance community in particular about how that fits into 
what we write about, what we talk about, um, how we approach finances. And I think, honestly, looking into the student loan problem really is kind of eye-opening for me, um, just as an example of privilege, especially with some of those proposals to further extend student loan forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough because you got some people who say, you know, no way, I didn't sign up to pay off your loans, this and that. But the more you talk to people who have student loans, pretty much everybody had good intentions when they took it out. They might not have had the best advice or, uh, you know, realized what sort of impact it would have on their finances later in life. But the one thing we know is that if you grew up in a family where your parents were going to be able to pay for your college education, I mean, that's just kind of a more extreme example of privilege where we need to factor that in. Were people able to go to whatever college they want to and have no debt? Their perspective is going to be totally different than somebody who maybe their parents struggle financially and they didn't get any assistance from their parents and they had to take out 100,000 plus of student loans. So I think just as we approach any topic, it's important to keep that in mind. And one thing I did hear somebody say is that it doesn't matter how much money you make, you can pay off your debt, which sometimes that's just not the case. And when you look at examples of public service loan forgiveness, we got a lot of teachers, social workers, public defenders who have $100,000, $200,000 of student loan debt who aren't making enough to really pay that off. So there needs to be avenues for them to do that. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I always find, and I'm probably going to have more conversations about this in another episode, just about some of the things in place that I think are helpful and support people who need the support, like the public uh, service loan forgiveness and just certain things because they don't have a livable wage so that they can live a fulfilled or decent life. But it's really complicated. And I feel like it's one of those things I want to extend the conversation more and talk more about because I don't think we can ignore these type of things um, because it does impact uh, everyone, especially people of color and black people who struggle with some of this. So thank you so much, David, for coming on the show and giving so much great information. But where can people find out more about you and follow up with what's going on? Sure. My blog is youngadultmoney.com. So you can always go there, especially with some of the topics we talked about. You can go to the category section and look at some of the student loan articles. Uh, You can reach me directly on Twitter at David Carlson one. And for those of you who don't have it, Instagram, David underscore Carlson. Right. And I'll get all that for the episode show notes so people can quickly find you. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for having me. All right, journeyers, I really hope that helped you. If you are dealing with student loan debt or you know someone who is, send them this episode. This is episode 135 of the Journey to Launch podcast, hoping that this will help you and at least open just some thoughts or some doors in terms of what you can do next if you feel a little stuck or you were confused about something. I always encourage you to always do your own research too, right? So if you hear something on this podcast, And you're like, wow, I should learn more or this sounds interesting. I wonder what that's about. 
like take it a step forward and act, right? Like I love that this is motivation and inspiration for you, but I want you to act on the things that you hear. I want you not to just like consume content and that's it. I want you to consume it, but then apply it. And so I hope that this gave you some information that you can actually go now do something with. And if you do, right, if you're inspired or you learned something, let me know. Tag me at Journey to Launch. So share it on your stories, tag me or um, on your main feed or just with your friends. That's good enough for me. So that way that, you know, I can know, because even though I probably won't know if you're sharing it personally (laughs) with a friend or family member, at least it's just like karma. Like, I just know that, you know, you're depositing all this good information into the world and helping others along the way. And that does, I think, just somehow comes back around to all of us. So thanks again for tuning in. Also, don't forget to join our weekly newsletter list. You can also opt in to get some just good resources that can help you. That's journeytolaunch.com slash join. And then if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, so that's that purple app on your Apple phone, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. I literally read everyone good, bad, and indifferent. I just like reading them. It really keeps me motivated. And there's a lot of talk about like these reviews on Apple Podcasts, like they don't matter. When actually I beg to differ because I've actually had people tell me I was searching for a personal finance podcast and I looked at your ratings and saw you had so many or, you know, I was looking at it and it seemed like, wow, this is a legit podcast, you know, like, and so I stopped and took a chance to listen. Like I legit had maybe like, five people tell me that. So I know it's not a lot of people, but it's enough people for me. And it's actually helpful just to see the feedback that you guys are giving. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And then of course, share it however you wish to share it with your family and friends. Okay, now until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. 